three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here. On today's edition of the program, Matt Eberflows is pretty impressed with Justin Fields. We'll break it all down in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with Bill Rogers, a Forbes sports writer and BBWA member. We talked with him extensively about some Cubs and White Sox news, plus his amazing career in sports media. It's a great interview, and it comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zaglou. Be able to watch more of this show, Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. I want to start today with this. What a difference a year makes. <laughs> this time last year, we had Bears fans complaining and wondering why Justin Fields wasn't taking first team reps, why he was being left behind by Matt Nagy, why Andy Dalton was the presumed number one starter And my Fields himself really was not developing. There was no quotes, there were no articles, there were no comments on what he did during OTAs. Nobody even knew. Nobody evaluated him correctly and gave him the opportunity to be evaluated. That too. No one did it. Matt Nagy obviously mismanaged the situation, which we all know, but he mismanaged it even during OTAs. Much different this year. Much different this year. Matt Eberplus has obviously let Justin Fields be the number one. And it's turned out that he's been doing pretty well during OTAs so far now. Here's a quote from a Bears.com article. Bears coach Matt Eberplus has been impressed with Justin Fields throughout the offseason program, but one aspect of the second-year quarterback's game that has stood out most above everything else is his deep ball. Quote, I would say, man, he throws a good deep ball, Eberflus said Tuesday. I'm excited about that. You can see it in the 7-on-7 and 11-on-11s. We're going to take our shots down the field. He does a nice job doing that, and that's what stands out to me. Wow. Somebody actually knows how to evaluate talent. We all knew about Justin Fields' deep balls, one of the best in college football. Granted, great wide receivers. Made it much easier on him. Good offensive line. There were tons of weapons around Justin Fields. But still, the deep ball itself, throwing the ball 20, 30 yards downfield, being pretty accurate, arguably. These were things we knew about Justin Fields from last year. And he never threw the deep ball last season. 
Wonder why. Matt Nagy, again, did not cater a game plan to him. Eberflus went on, talked about the deep ball, and said that as a defense, the deep ball stretches you. Quote, when you get stretched vertically and horizontally like that, it always causes stressors on a defense. Translation, having a deep ball, having it be effective, it really helps out moving the ball downfield. The defense doesn't know what's coming. It's going to be better. And that's the positive with this. That's what makes this a good thing. And it makes it even better that Eberflus is letting Justin Fields be the number one. I love this. Finally, somebody who actually cares. And Luke gets it. Also, Eberflus talked about this too. And he said, quote, I'm in the quarterback room every morning, and I really appreciate the way he coaches and the way he simplifies it for the players. He's doing a bang-up job in there, and you can see that in the execution on the field. Thank you. Again, an offensive guy who actually knows an offense, who actually will cater to his players. There's a lot of positivity around the Bears right now, and I'm pretty shocked to say that. You know me. I call it like it is, but I'm shocked to say there's some positivity for this team. Again, granted. OTAs. Take it with a grain of salt a little bit, but this is a good direction. Much better than this time last year. And that's the reason why the Bears made the moves, right? At the end of the day, they were unhappy with their direction, coaching-wise and personnel-wise and GM-wise, last season. They made moves. They made changes. For Justin Fields' sake, I still don't think they have enough weapon-wise to help him, but I do know that they're helping him out coaching, and maybe that's Really, what he needs, more than anything, more than even weapons. Good coaching can overcome not as good weapons. Talked about this the other day on this program. Joe Madden got the best out of every player he used. Good managers, good coaches, good coordinators get the best out of decent players. You don't have to be a superstar to put up superstar numbers in the NFL. You don't have to be a household name to do well. In an offense, in a scheme, with a certain coach. Look at Sean McBain, Jared Goff. Jared Goff is not overly special. He's probably maybe the 20th best quarterback in football yet in Los Angeles. Pro bowler, 3,800 yards, 30-plus touchdown season. Sean McBain got the best out of a bad pick, really, by the Rams. He was not the right guy to take. Everybody knew it. That first year with Jeff Fincher was horrible, but instead of calling him a bust, they brought in a new coach, got the best they could out of him, Goff led them to a Super Bowl. They lost, but still. It worked for that time. That relationship worked for a number of years till the better quarterback came around to Matthew Stafford, and they won the Super Bowl. They knew Jared Goff was not going to get them there. He wasn't going to win them anything. But they knew that if... McBain was with him, coaching him. Could have a good enough year. With a good team around him and support around him, things could be very good for the team. And sure enough, it was. I don't think Rams players and Rams management have any complaints about Jared Goff and that era of quarterbacking for the team. Not at all. They did well. I'm not going to argue or disparage a couple of 11-win seasons and a Super Bowl appearance. That's amazing. That's a credit to McVay and partially to Goff for being open to the coaching. Point being, the same thing could be happening here. And that's the positive side and the encouraging side about this whole situation. We don't know for sure how things are going to turn out. And again, this is OTAs. It's 
domain. <laughs> I don't know how Eberplus is going to coach in a game atmosphere. Matt Nagy was a great practice coach. Everybody knows that. Hey, we worked on this in practice. Oh, they look great in practice. I did good in practice. And the fact is, in the game environment, in the game situation, there were issues with Nagy. Players even said last year, it all works in practice, but it doesn't work in the game. Doesn't translate to the game atmosphere, the game environment. Yeah, because these are good practice plays to run. I remember I talked to Dan Hampton, Warren Sapp, legends of the game on my program. They both told me this from a while ago. Teams should be practicing with full pads again. I understand there are health risks, injury concerns now, but when you don't do that, the plays that you run in practice look amazing. Then when you're actually in the game, everybody's wearing pads, you got somebody barreling after you as a quarterback, you got good coverage downfield, all of a sudden there's a problem. And you're not prepared for it. Because all your practices were low-key, no pads, you cut them early, you're short, all those things. That's the issue. That's the problem. So, something to keep in mind when it comes to OTAs and these reports. At the end of the day, we have to wait and see if these plays will translate to a game atmosphere. Not just, oh, hey, they look good. Look good against players running around in shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> we don't know. Still, though, I like this report. And it might be a small thing, not a big overarching deal, but... It's better than last year. It's better than where the Bears were one year ago today. This is not going to be an easy year for the Bears. I mean, maybe they do win eight or nine games. Maybe they do contend for a fringe wildcard spot. And if they do, that'd be amazing. It'd be a huge relief for them and a good direction for their future. But if they do tank, if they don't do well, we have to focus on some of the positives. And I'm not a moral victory guy. I hate moral victories, but with this team, you're kind of forced to choose them because what else are you going to root for? This is semi... This is a semi-moral victory. At the end of the day, Justin Fields is better than where he was last year. He's a top-picked quarterback. The Bears hired somebody who's willing to work with him and an offensive coordinator who's willing to do the same too. They're giving him first-team reps, which he didn't have a year ago. He looks better, too. Plays will be called to his strengths. We talked about the deep ball. So there are a lot of good things that are going for the Bears and Justin Fields. The fact is, though, still a long way to go. We still need to see in-game play. We still need to see lots of things that we haven't seen yet. So I'm not going to sit here and start sipping the Kool-Aid and being a Justin Fields shill or Matt Eberflus, Ryan Pohl's shill or Luke Getze one either. But I will say these are encouraging signs. And if you compare the Bears today to where they were one year ago, I don't have many complaints for now. Season hasn't started yet. You know me. <laughs> but season hasn't started yet. I'm evaluating this team day by day based on how things progress and the news that comes out. And right now, we're at the end of May, and Justin Fields looks pretty damn good, according to Matt Eberflus, at OTAs. That, to me, is a big win. And again, it's much different than where the Bears were a year ago. That is cause for celebration. What to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Bill Rogers comes up next, so stay tuned. 
Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John Zaglorl, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's a Forbes sports writer, BBWA member, and a best-selling author. Please welcome Bill Rogers to the program. Bill, it's great to have you on. How are you? John, I'm very good. I just want to stipulate, I have the Zoom set up where I'm looking out the window at the Utah mountains, so that's why my uh, sun, my glasses look like sunglasses. I'm really not trying to be hip. <laughs> Hope I'm not interrupting you. You on vacation or something? Um, no, we, we spend quite a bit of time up here now. Really? Okay. Well, what's your favorite part about being over there? Um, it's just gorgeous, you know, and, and, uh, two lane country roads, you know, um, totally different pace than, uh, all the years living in, uh, big cities, Chicago and Dallas. So it's, uh, it's just kind of nice to get to some quiet. Let me ask you this to start. This really isn't a quiet topic. Where do you fall on the whole Josh Donaldson and Tim Anderson controversy? Well, you know, I think clearly Josh Donaldson, you know, stepped in it and then tried to find a way to get out of it without coming across as a maximum jerk. And, you know, racist is a super strong word. I mean, you you really only know how people feel about other people, what's in their heart. You know, really, there is no way from the outside to know that. So, you know, I I think I would stop short of saying racist, but I mean, it was definitely, definitely stupid. And clearly his effort at damage control to say it was an inside joke between him and Tim, uh, that fell flat. And, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I thought Tim's home run on Sunday night there was probably the, the best, you know, up yours kind of he could have given him. <laughs> was one game the right suspension for Donaldson? Do you think there should have been one at all? Or I definitely thought he would be suspended. Um, you know, if you look at Tim got one game for a, a one-finger salute earlier in the year, although he was then later to appeal it and get that removed. Um, you know, I, I definitely think there's um, – standards of behavior on the field that, you know, and, and when you cause benches to clear, um, you know, I, yeah, I think the suspension was appropriate and it could have been longer, uh, but whether it was one game or whether it was 10 games, the message was delivered, you know, that, you know, you, you can't go around just saying stupid stuff. What do you think of Tim Anderson himself as a player? I think he's a, I think he's a dynamic player who somehow lessens his the appeal of his play with his personality off the field by by being so visible, so front and center. You know that the, the uh, you know it, it, it's okay to play with emotion, being the spokesman for this generation of players. I think that that kind of keeps people from looking at looking at how quick he's piling up base hits. You know, he's almost a unicorn. There's I don't know if there is another player like him in the game now that that uh, just collects the hits. I, as a critiquing his play, I think he could be a little bit better if he would find a way to work a few more walks. Um, but when he, you're hitting 340, it's kind of hard to contribute. You know, hard to criticize uh, being a free swinger. Um, you know, and his his defense is better than he's played this year. You know, I don't know that it's gold glove level year in, year out. He makes a lot of really exciting plays, but he also uh, mishandles some easy plays. Um, But, you know, I just think he's a super dynamic player 
Um, I'm not sure people know how much power he has, that he's a, almost a flip the light switch 2020 guy uh, that probably has a 30-30 season in him. Um, but, you know, I, I think he's kind of made his brand being I'm visible, I'm out, you know, I'm outspoken, I, I want to sell the game. And in a way, I don't know if that somehow causes a lot of people to overlook just what he does on the field, you know, and, and he does it night in, night out. He, you know, he, he knocked wood. He hasn't had a lot of injuries and he gets on the field. Do you think if he was quieter as a player, there'd be more fanfare around him? I, I think people would look more at his play than, you know, I, I wonder what percentage of his interviews he does is about, his play on the field and what percentage is about social issues and, you know, some of the uh, candor rhetoric about the game and, and the big picture questions about building the game, growing the game. Uh, and I think it just, that, that has become what people go to Tim Anderson for. And, you know, I just wonder if that causes people not to study his game as much. Cause it, you know, if you're a, a reporter and you have a chance to talk to him, you're not really going to talk to him about where did this, where did you develop your ability to be such a contact hitter? You know, you're going to ask him a bigger picture question looking for a, you know, a, a, a sound bite that, you know, will hold up. And, you know, I, I, I think he's a, he's a great player. Phil Rogers here on Sports Talk Chicago. Phil, what about the White Sox as a whole? How have you evaluated their season so far? Oh, it's been uh, hit and miss. And, you know, we, <laughs> we, tend to, we tend to notice the misses more than the hits. You know, they've really kind of rebounded well. The Johnny Cueto signing, you know, was probably the best move made by any team since the season started. Um, you know, patched a hole in the rotation tremendously well. Looks like he's going to be a big part, even when Lance Lynn and the other guys get healthy. Um, you know, they really haven't had their lineup once again. I mean, we always seem to be talking about that. And, you know, I, I think Aloy Jimenez now ahead of schedule. Um, Luis Robert has has a, avoided big injuries, but he did have a stretch where he, where he was out but didn't go on the I.L., um, you know, uh, right now, Grandall has, you know, is a, is a huge donut in the lineup whenever they play him. I think he's going to get hot and be okay. And I always trust Abreu, you know, I, 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 he gets off to slow starts. The fact that Memorial Day is right around the corner and he still hasn't really gotten everything together, um, is a concern. He has, and by saying he hasn't gotten it, everything together, he hasn't really gone on one of his two, two weeks, month stretches. He's very much due for that. Um, but I trust him hundred percent. So I don't think we're seeing the beginning of the end with Jose Abreu. Um, I know some pitchers have gotten some fastballs by him and, and he's had some at bats where he just looks unsettled. Uh, but I think, you know, he's a 162 game player. And so let's, let's let him get deeper in this. I think we'll start to see the regular guy. I, I think they're, they're basically okay. The biggest question I, I have about them is the bullpen, um, mm -hmm. which was kind of built up as a strength, uh, but it's quickly gone through arms and, you know, I'm not sure it is the strength that it, that it was. I wonder if, 
after, even though Cueto wasn't big money, after all the money that, that Jerry Reinsdorf and his ownership group has put into the team, will they have money there to go out at the trade deadline and acquire a significant left-handed reliever, for instance, if, if that's the part they deem they need? Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how they'll adjust. So I think, you know, they're going to have to get some of their own guys pitching better, maybe find somebody in the minor leagues that, that can come up and contribute big in the second half. And it will help the bullpen to get the rotation solid because, you know, the, they'll, they'll begin to get uh, Velasquez back there, Reynaldo Lopez, you know, can maybe he becomes like Kendall Graveman, a big seventh, eighth inning type guy. Uh, but that that's the, I think their lineup's going to be fine. I think, Barring more injury, their pitching, their rotation will be fine. So I, I think the bullpen's kind of the question mark whether it can achieve what was expected. How do you feel about Tony LaRusse's job right now? Um, I am a Tony LaRusso backer. Um, Me too. <laughs> you know, I, um, you know, I, I. I think he's. I think he's done a fine job. I think in the the Tim Anderson thing. I, you know, I think in all of the the many uh, tempests in a teapot that have come up in the season, he always takes the right, sets the right tone, supports his guys. Um, you know, not every decision he makes works out. Not every decision any manager makes works out. Um, I, I, you know, I I can't really criticize him for anything. You know, and you you look at how Michael Kopech is is pitching. You know, I mean, the way that the White Sox have handled him, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think you give Larusa and his coaching staff some credit for managing those guys. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think he's the right guy. But that said, he's hired for October. I mean, the, the, the reason that Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn went out and hired him was. You know, here's a guy that has won in October. So, so we'll judge Tony by how they play in October. And and if they didn't get to October, that would be a that would be a huge misfire. But I I still think they're going to be okay to play in October, and that's when we'll judge Tony. Is this team ready to win in October, though, talent wise and experience wise? Yeah, absolutely. Like you look at Kopech, for instance. You know, he hasn't made that many starts in the big leagues, but he's he'll be eligible for arbitration after this season. He's been on, he's been around a long time. Um, Yoan Mankata, you know, I mean, some of these guys are starting to get close to free agency. We still talk about them being young. Um, so I think they have plenty of experience and they have plenty of starting pitching. You know, I, Lance Lynn's return will be watched closely because he's been an important guy for them. Uh but I think, you know, we got to get Dylan Cease right. You know, I mean, you can't go out and have one good outing and, and get knocked out in the second or third, the next one, you know, on a regular basis. Uh, but, you know, they, they, have the, they have the arms to go deep in the postseason, and, and they certainly have the experience. And even though it's one thing he hasn't done, you know, Jose Abreu, I don't, I don't know. You can find a better veteran to to build a team around. So yes, they def, they definitely do. It, it's tricky judging in the postseason. I think the Cubs, the end of the Cubs 
Bryant, Rizzo, Baez era was judged by how they played in a handful of postseason games. And, and that's a really risky time to take the measure of a team. So the White Sox, had they, you know, had things clicked for them, either of the last two falls, we would be talking about them completely differently. Even if they had just gotten to a championship series, which they were capable of uh, both years, you know, we would be talking to about them. We would not, we would not have as much skepticism about them. So I, I think there's no reason they, they could not win. I mean, we saw in 2005, that team won the world series and they certainly didn't have a lot of, of pedigree going in. Bill Rogers here on Sports Talk Chicago. Bill, you mentioned the Cubs. What do you make of their season themselves? Obviously, in a rebuild, playing decent baseball as of late. Yeah. Um, it, to me, it's hard to watch. I mean, I, 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 I don't see, you know, today as we're taping this, um, you know, we just saw uh, Wilson Contreras hit a long home run. You don't know if he's going to be here you know, past the trade deadline. Um, you know, the, I don't see, you know, I, I don't think you're going to win with Frank Schwindel and Rafael Ortega and Patrick Wisdom and the guys that played well last August and September. So it's, to me, it's like watching the Cubs again in 2012, 13, 14, when, when they were kind of patchwork guys while their better prospects developed in the low minors. Um, so, you know, I, they're hard. It's a hard watch for me. And I'm, I'm still disappointed when I look out there and, and see, um, you know, none of the brand names having, you know, ownership having allowed them all to leave. Now I know Chris Bryant just went back on the disabled list for the second time. I know Anthony Rizzo had a history of back problems, but they're no perfect ball players. No ball players are immune from injury. And, and I just can't get over those guys, what they, contributed to that franchise to take it from where it was when they got there to where it was when they left um, that ownership and the front office, although front office hands may be tied by ownership, but they were led down. They were led along uh, very quietly. Um, although we did see Theo Epstein leave a, a year early on his contract. Maybe he was the smart one, but it, it's, it's just hard for me to see um, them sacrificing advantages they had and i don't really trust that they're going to be able to recreate it in on in any short order so you didn't approve of those trades last year did you think it was time did you think they should have stayed but what's your take on that part of it well i mean i i think you got to go back a lot farther um they shouldn't all three of those guys should not have been allowed to go into last year unsigned and you you know it's their contract risk and you might have to eat a contract. Jason Hayward remains on the roster and somehow, <laughs> somehow, you know, I mean, I know they can't, they probably would have avoided that deal if they could have, but you know, you've got to take some risk. And when get to me, when guys deliver, um, it's just a little wrong to just break it up and, and not find the money, you know, and, and, None of we don't really detail, uh, you know, we don't know what those guys, how those negotiations went. A lot of that has been kept private, and that's probably appropriate. 
but I still go back to what Anthony Rizzo said uh, after he was traded to the Yankees about uh, the, the negotiations and the contracts where he said the common denominator was none of us signed. You know, I, those were guys that were happy in Chicago. They weren't this wasn't like a standard Scott Boris contract or a player who's just pushing to get to free agency so he can test his value. Um, those guys, there was, there were deals to be made. And for whatever reason, uh, the ownership of the Cubs didn't want to make those deals. And, and so I wasn't blown away by what they got back in those trades, but I wasn't surprised because if you're going to keep them, I mean, the, it, the Cubs played this the absolute worst way. You let these guys get right to free agency where their trade value is diminished, and then you trade them. Um, you know, they, the, the time to either sign or trade a guy going into free agency is, is the year, the offseason before free agency. There's no question about that, maybe even two offseasons before. Um, and there was a time not all that long ago uh, before Steven Strasburg signed his extension to stay with the Washington Nationals, when everybody thought he was going to become a free agent. Going back to that time, players were all signing extensions. It was really hard to, you know, to go it, think you're going to go into the market and get a top player because they were all signing extensions. And uh, th that dynamic has changed and more really talented players are getting to the free agent market every year. But there were there were deals to be made along the way, and and Anthony Rizzo in particular got a really bad deal from the Cubs because he signed that player friendly contract in 2013. He had less than a year in the big leagues, happy to do it, and you know never publicly said he regretted doing it. Um, but he gave the Cubs so much more value than that contract was worth. And the Cubs never redid it. I, th I thought with two years left on that contract or even three years left, he had shown them he was the kind of player he was. And, you know, he, he might not be Freddie Freeman, but he's not that far behind. And you look at how the, the uh, Freddie Freeman deal, the, or you look at his first deal, he did reach free agency, but you look at his first extension with the Dodger, with the Braves, uh, treated in a whole different way manner and I just thought Rizzo deserved better from the Cubs than, than he got long term though do you think the Cubs will benefit overall from all these moves do you think it ends up hurting them I think letting all of those guys go will hurt them I think if part of what you would have paid you could almost take any of them I don't want to prejudice this opinion just take any of those three and say you're going to keep this, you're going to pay this guy and you understand you may be giving him more money than he will earn at the back end of the contract. Um, but, you know, you, you get a link to 2016 and you get leadership in the clubhouse and it, Anthony Rizzo, when those, when Chris Bryant came up, when Javier Baez came up, Addison Russell, Almora, um, all of those guys, not only was he the first baseman and the number three hitter, but he was like the greeter at the best restaurant you ever went to. He, <laughs> you know, he made those guys feel comfortable and anything they wanted, they could go to him and ask. And, you know, it, 
I'm not just saying this is Rizzo specific. I think Bryant could have done that. Baez could have done it. Baez did do that a lot for younger Latin players as time went on. But I just think you lose a lot. And yeah, you, you know, the guy, it might be a smart move financially. I Here's a question I ask though, John, when you say, will the team be better off? The next time they get around to trying to sign a John Lester, who bringing in Lester, that was the move that really started their, you know, their rise to becoming one of the most relevant teams in baseball. When you get around to signing your next John Lester, are they going to be as eager to come to the to Wrigley Field as that generation of free agents were? Uh, Theo Epstein basically had his pick when he when he signed Zobras, you know, any free agent he wanted, they all wanted to be there. And I, I think now they all ask questions to guys that were there. What's the deal with the Ricketts? You know, what, what's going on at Wrigley? And, you know, I, I don't know that they're ever, you know, that's to me, that's sort of out of the bottle and they're never going to get it back. And it, you know, if you think back to before that run, the Cubs were never a destination for, free agent players. Um, so, you know, I, I think they've made their lives for the next generation harder by allowing that kind of uh, Elan panache they had built up by just giving that away. Doesn't Alpanto Soriano count or no? <laughs> I'm just um, kidding. I'm joking. Yeah. Well, well, he, that's an example. You know, they, they got him by paying – Pay, overpaying everybody else. Um, but yeah, yeah. Th- I mean, you can go back and find, find guys. How about Milton Bradley? Did you like that one? Oh my you goodness. Know, I mean, that was right. And, and, you know, I think you're going to be back in that era where you have to wine and dine free agents that aren't universally attractive and try to convince them to come. And that's not a great situation to be in. How likely is a Wilson Contreras trade right now? I got it. It seems 80%. I mean, they, there's no reason they couldn't sign him to a contract extension, but when you get this close to free agency, as we saw last year, um, you know, that becomes the, uh, the less, the least likely thing. And if he's not extended, there's, he'll absolutely be traded. I mean, there'd be no reason really to keep him, um, for, after the trade deadline, and and he might be a valuable piece this year if if there's a you know the right team in need of catching. There aren't. He's in the certainly in the top half of catchers, and he could go a lot of places. And and it, the Yankees, for instance, you know, um, just to throw one out off the top of my head. But there's there are there are a lot of teams, and maybe they'll be able to uh, you know get a good value for him. But it, I I it sure seems to me like. He's he's next out of the door. You think that's the right move? No, I mean he's <laughs> like. I, I think even average big league players get undervalued because there's a sense that you can just go get another one. Well, a lot of times you can't, and then you look up near the Texas Rangers, and and you thought you you didn't think you were ever rebuilding, but you haven't won for ever, so. I, I think, you know, I think they're better off to sign him. You know, he's still, if he was older, 
you know, I know he's had some physical issues, but he he's always caught 110, 115 games. Um, now with the DH, you can make life a little easier on him by bringing in a guy like Jan Gomes. Um, so yeah, I I would if looking for the good of the Cubs, and also let me mention they have nobody else in in line. You know, they're num- they're his his replacement Miguel Amaya had Tommy John surgery. So, you know, they, they, uh, I mean, there's a million guys you could go get, but you're not going to get a big league average catcher and, and catcher is a pretty important position. What a come with Bill Rogers in just a moment. Stay tuned. This is sports talk Chicago. Bill Rogers, still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Bill, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, the best book you've written is what? Oh, I, I'll split the baby. Okay. Um, the uh, uh, Bud co-writing Bud Selig's uh, autobiography. Um, I'm very proud of that book. It was on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, I worked very hard. Uh, to build a relationship with Bud where he would be open. I think people have read it and they ha- they can't believe how open he was talking about the, w- the low parts of his, his time in baseball, you know, especially the steroid era. And we spent a lot of time working on that. And I, and I kept digging and digging and a lot of people may not like what he says, but he certainly addresses it. It's the first chapter of the book. So I'm, I was proud of that. And, just recently, I was going back and looking at an Ernie Banks biography I wrote. It was called, it's called, cleverly enough, Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub in the Summer of 69. And I hadn't opened it up in quite a while. And I was looking at it and it, I, it reminded me how hard I worked on that book and how happy I was when it was published because there had not been another Ernie Banks book written um, since he wrote one himself when he was a player in 1972. And um, I couldn't believe that at the time that I was offered the chance to write that because there's so many books written about the Cubs that there was not a Ernie Banks book. It just blew me away. And so if anybody ever want to know um, the legacy of Ernie Banks, uh, it, it's in that book. And, and I'm, I'm proud to have, uh, told his story. It was, uh, he, he cooperated with me, but it was not a mutual project. So it, it wasn't like me and Ernie Banks, but he, he did, uh, he did co-op, you know, he, he did interviews with me for the book and, you know, we got into what he meant for about racial relations in Chicago and, and things that I don't think had been really explored, uh, elsewhere. And since that book was published, Ron Rappaport, who was with the Chicago Sun-Times for a long time and is a, a really good writer, also has written an Ernie Banks book, and I would recommend that. What kind of work goes into making a book like that or like the Bud Selig one, too? It's just to, to do it well. And, and I don't want to knock this other book, but I, I, I wrote a, a, a book after the White Sox won the World Series in 2005. And that book was on a really tight writing and publishing schedule because the publisher wanted to get it out as quick as possible. So that, you know, there are books like that that make an, that are an exception, but I think good books are 
I've got to be a labor of love on both 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 parts, you know, the the authors and the subjects, uh, because it, it it's really time consuming, and you have to be anybody I've ever I work with. I say, look, you know, for this book to be any good, you've got to be open and you've got to be honest, and you got to talk about the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. And you know, we might talk about this was true with Selig, and not just steroids, a lot of other subjects we would go over the same subject five to 10 times. And I'm sure he was thinking, haven't we already asked, asked this? But he was pretty good about not about saying it. <laughs> and, and when you go back in over and over, I think then you get, that's when you start to get people to really remember the good stories. Oh yeah, this happened. And that, you know, I think everybody, especially when you're talking about the past, everybody wants you to give you, what's right on top of their head and right at the surface. And you kind of have to just kind of jackhammer away. And, it, and it, if you have months to do the reporting, you can do that jackhammering a little bit of a, at a day. You don't have to just go into a guy's office and try to break him down to, to, to get the good <laughs> information. So it just takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of communication. Um, but when the book comes out, there's, uh, I have two children and, and next to those, those days that those are, you know, when the books come out, those are the proudest days, uh, of your life. But, and, and at, as opposed to working for a newspaper or a website, when you finish a book, you can stick it on a bookshelf and, uh, it's always going to be up there. So you want to do a good job. Cause that, that's going to, the evidence is going to remain. <laughs> Phil, before we finish up today, last question. Um, what's the funniest locker room moment you've been a part of in your career? Well, there's an Ozzie Guillen story that I can't tell in, in, complete, in, in fullness. Okay. But I will say, I will say that uh, my time around Ozzie Guillen, and that, that started when he was a player uh, and ran the whole time he was a manager of the White Sox. <laughs> um, I consider him in, in a very positive sense, an idiot savant that there's something about him. He could be talking to you, John, and he would know everything else that went on in the building you were in. He had, he had this peripheral vision that I've never seen before. And there was one day I walked into the, to the uh, White Sox locker room day game in Pittsburgh. And there was uh, players were involved in a group looking at something that in modern culture would be deemed inappropriate to say the least. And I, I like in a split second saw what they were doing. And rather than stop, I just kind of kept going to the back of the locker room. Like, ah, it doesn't interest me. And uh, Ozzy looked up, he goes, like the fact that he recognized who I was and, and he like read my mind and he, he goes, what's the matter with you, Rogers? You from Texas? Like, like they just covered all, all <laughs> anything goes, but it, 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 to me, he just like bang, bang, um, you know, and, and he, he did that all the time and uh, you could not pull one over on Ozzy. <laughs> Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure. Uh, best wishes moving forward for the rest of this baseball season. Looking forward to the next time we chat as well. Enjoy Utah. All right. Thanks a lot, John.
Big talk there with Phil Rogers. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Phil Rogers himself, Matt Tubio, WCKG, Jim DeTalba, to Marvel Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zagluel. You can watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes you with tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! Where are the tires?